I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. Shh. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen with me, Heather Matarazzo. Um, it's been so interesting um, <clears throat> these last few weeks. I mean, fucking Christ, 2017. Um, you know, but this podcast thing and getting to do this, it's it's been so amazing and so incredible. And again, I I still can't believe that I have listeners, you know, in the UK and Berlin and Ireland and Spain and Iraq. What? Um but I'm not going to attempt to say hello to you in any of those languages because I learned my lesson last time. Um, but I have not one, but two amazing women sitting here. This is the first time that um, I've had two guests on at the same time. And I'm drinking Menage a Trois wine, so it's all appropriate. Um, <laughs> so... You guys know how I feel about Sweet Vicious. You know that I fucking love the show. And you know how I feel about um, it getting canceled. And um, what I feel it's done is it's allowed me the gift of getting to start a friendship with the creator of that show, um, Jen Caton Robinson. Hey. Hi. Hi. Oh, that's the worst. Oh, that's everyone's like, oh, they just turned it off. <laughs> and another writer of that show, um, in addition to also being a writer on Wrecked on TBS, Celeste Ballard. Also, hi. 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 <laughs> um, I, I completely stole that from my favorite murder. I'm obsessed with that show. I'm obsessed with. Um, Karen Kilgroff and Georgia Hardwick, Hearthstone, whatever her last name is. And they always are like, hi, bye. <laughs> um, and I've just adopted it as my own. <laughs> it's nice to make murder lighthearted, you know? Well, I mean, I genuinely, like I, like I, that sounded like I was throwing shade at that. And I am not because I think it is. I actually think what they do is very fun. Do you like the show? Mm-hmm. I do. Do you listen on the reg? Not on the reg. I've, I have listened and I, it's one of those things. I'm not good at regularly listening to anything. I forget that I've listened to it once and then I'll be driving and like the one thing that I listen to like weekly is probably Mark Marin, just because I like the people he talks to. What the fuck? Exactly. <laughs> um uh and like nerdist just because like if there's an interesting interview i'll listen to that um uh but i'll always like kind of go back in and like see what i've listened to previously and then like pick something up and listen to one episode 
Okay. Which is not the best way to listen to that or anything. Or it's just the way that you listen to it and it's fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I like being around Heather because she's always kind of places me back in a place of positivity. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, So on that note, I'm like, do either of you have a favorite murder? Or one that, and when I say favorite, I mean one that fascinates you, one that has gotten under your skin. Do you guys have any personal experiences with murder or murderers? Have you committed murder? (laughs) (laughs) I have not committed murder. Um, I'm trying to think. I was like, have I been around murder? No. No No one I know has been murdered. I don't think it's not. I don't um, know why I'm laughing at that, but like, cause I think it's like peripheral people. It's like, have I ever like kind of been, has my, have I ever come home? My mom was like, that person got murdered, but no, that's never happened. Um, my, I'm obsessed with Manson and the Manson murders. I read Helter Skelter a lot. I have like a very old first edition copy of it that I love very dearly. Um, Celeste. Yeah. I also would say the Manson murders for me, but I think that's just cause I like to center part my hair sometimes and I feel like I look a little bit like a Manson girl when I do that but you gave me the girls yeah oh the girls by Emma Klein too great fictional take on the Manson murders if you haven't read it it's so good okay highly recommend okay that novel I was attached to do um a version of the Manson girls and I yeah to play um Sadie Atkins Whoa. I know. What happened? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I, mean, <laughs> I literally have no idea why I asked that. Well, here's <laughs> the deal. I, I truly do believe that every single thing happens exactly the way that it's meant to. Um, and at the time, I was really, really excited. And, you know, I had read every single book. I, like, did, like, silent Facebook stalking of like some of the like extended Manson family people like like found that are just like living their lives yeah okay and like found them on Facebook like absolutely insane um and you know here's the thing that's so interesting I feel about independent filmmaking sometimes is that there's all this talk and all this hype and like we had been sent to Sundance like this was gonna go this was gonna go and then the director wanted me and some other cast members to wear clothing like to like sell merch in order to raise funds for the rest of the film and I said no like I've already given I'm already giving my name I've already given two years of my time and then all of a sudden I was let go that like doesn't sound great no it doesn't <laughs> however and I was and I was so pissed and I was so upset but I, I really, truly got to see, because um, this was right around the time that, like, Heath Ledger had died, you know, and uh, 
when it comes to getting the opportunity to play a character that is very complex and very dark and very fucked up, you know, um, I love getting to challenge myself in that way. And I feel like it was the universe's way of being like, you, you've experienced enough darkness in your own personal life. Like, you don't need to go there. Um, and so it was another experience of, like, someone's rejection was really, like, the universe's protection. Like, I've never regretted something I haven't gotten or I've gotten let go from for whatever I feel reason. that. I feel that for sure. I think, you know, just speaking to the, you know, having to kind of, when you're doing something that's dark, putting yourself in a dark place and having to experiencing things that are dark. I mean, I struggled a lot in the development and writing process of Sweet Vicious and making even and even making it because it's like you are putting yourself in so many situations. And I was reading, I mean, we were reading countless articles a day and it, they were all saying the same things. And And this was before... I think even kind of the social awareness around the epidemic was like reaching a fever pitch when, and that, cause that happened when we, that happened when we were writing, I believe the Stanford thing happened yeah. when we were writing, but we were also shooting, correct? Yeah, I think, we yeah, we were already in production. So it's like we had spent, we'd been spending months before that, you know, diving into what was going on and it was so prevalent and like no one was talking about it and that was frustrating, but it was, it was a really, really dark kind of place that you had to get to and be in because you had to I think we all felt the responsibility of like doing this right and you can't shy away from it so to do that and to throw yourself into that it's it's a lot more taxing than I think I realized and then there was an added level of feeling guilt because I felt taxed by it because I was like I am reading about this I didn't experience this like all like the different various stories it's like I would read about it and I would feel and I would feel but it's like it, it, it's there there's it's nothing in comparison to what the you know subject of the article felt and so that it was like it was kind of this like mountain that I you know built on top of myself of like can I feel this way? Is it okay to feel this way? Does it make me wrong to feel this way? Am I trying to kind of like take on this person's story in a way that's inappropriate? It was just like there was such a weird kind of like place that I ended up inserting myself in and I don't know like and it's like it's it felt very like at times I was like no like you, you have to talk through this and, and it is like it is a lot and then there were other times where I would like I felt like I was like I felt like dark Kermit that's like the weirdest way to, <laughs> but it like it felt like you know like there was like Kermit and dark Kermit and it was like you know like the two sides of myself like one being like no like everything you're experiencing it is valid and like you're allowed to feel this way and like you are throwing yourself into a dark space and all these things and the other side of me was just like what are you talking about like you didn't experience any of this like this is not like this is not your fight like like why are you, like don't make this some don't make this about you when it's not and so it was it was an interesting i think it was an interesting interesting experience it was just something i had never really kind of been through before i don't know if you've ever done that writing class i mean i think sweet vicious was probably the thing for me too cuz i remember a period of reading missoula and reading all these articles 
and just the sheer volume because we were asked to share anything we were reading and just the sheer volume of things you could find every single day was horrifying and just I think when you get that steeped in it and you realize the magnitude of how many people this affects and obviously not just on college campuses but we were primarily reading about that and realizing it's happening to everyone around you all the time it's just really hard I definitely had a period where I had to stop reading about it just because it is so intense and you got to give I think when you're trying to create you know a piece of work around that subject you have to give yourself a break to remember what you're doing you know is fiction and you have a story that you need to tell in a just and responsible way and I think taking time away was valuable just in terms of getting a moment of respite from the darkness um, and getting some perspective on how to do that effectively so that you can, yeah, just do the task at hand and also feel like you're, you know, creating a show for people who have experienced this, even if you yourself have not. I I would agree with both of you completely and you know I think it's I know that like every eight seconds a woman is raped every eight seconds um which is is not only a staggering staggering statistic um and I I even hate that word you know because I feel like graphs and numbers makes it math it makes it math and and it's rape yeah um oh there's tag along um but i feel like to varying degrees and and to varying degrees every single woman has had an experience of being violated in one way or another. And, uh, you know, um, I've learned that, A, I'm allowed to have my feelings without the need for justification. Because if I'm having feelings, it means that I'm empathizing. It means I um, am connecting. And... Especially as a storyteller, writer, director, producer, you know, an actor, whatever it is, in the medium of of telling stories, you need to be able to have that intuitive, sensitive, emotive connection. Because otherwise, if you're not feeling it, you can't translate it. You can't translate it. The audience is not going to be able to um, feel it, and they're going to know that it's bullshit. And that's one of the reasons that I I love this show so much um, <clears throat> is that it finally put a a it wasn't it wasn't written from the typical straight white male perspective you know in terms of these women were victims and that's all they're seen as 
as powerless, as defenseless, as one-dimensional human props, you know, that the man then gets to rescue in one way or another, you know, or they're considered too damaged to be loved and like, gosh, golly gee, he tried. Um, But really about even through the, the darkest of circumstances that A, you're able to find your power. B, that rage is an appropriate response. And that the catalyst of such a heinous, heinous act of violence um, allowed a superhero to be born. You know, I love the women. I can't... uh, the pink saris of India. Yes, 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 yes. We read about them. Like badass fucking ladies that don't give a shit. Um, and will beat the fuck out of a dude if he has raped a woman. Because the truth is, I mean, for fuck's sakes, we have a fuck nugget in the White House. Several. Several. <laughs> Known sexual assaulter. Yeah. Um, and self self admitted okay. sexual assaulter. Like, God damn it. I like wasn't prepared. Like I wasn't prepared. <clears throat> you know, I think it's and you audience can't see me, um, but I'm like sitting on this couch looking at these like two beautiful, like strong, awesome, amazing women. And uh, oh, there's there's tag, there's tag. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, <clears throat> yeah, rape sucks. Any kind and every kind of rape sucks, whether it's emotional rape, actual physical rape. And I feel that um, what most people don't get and don't understand is that um, when it comes to that kind of violation, that I... I always describe it in terms of almost like a horror crux, you know, where you have Voldemort that put part of his soul inside of Harry Potter, you know, and, and so it's not, if it was just like the physical act alone and there, it lives with you. It, and not only does it live with you all of a sudden, then it's, there's an anger and a rage because of the powerlessness that one can feel and most certainly that I have felt um, because I can't get that out of me. I can't get the feeling out of me. It's, it's like that other being monster darkness has attached themselves to me and inside of me and there's no medical procedure with which to extract it. And 
and um, that's why you know most people then decide that they don't want to be in their body because then when they're present in their body um, you feel they have to feel yeah if if it's ever present you're you're gonna feel it yeah you're going to feel it and like and feeling like there's no way out you know that it's never going to get better and that you just kind of have to learn to live with it um and I'm grateful that my experience um has allowed me to see that that's not true you know and I'm very aware of the privilege that I get to have in terms of having access to things like MDMA um, assisted therapy or getting to visit with a sexual somatic practitioner, you know, um, getting to be guided in terms of healing true authentic full healing um and not just being fractured and i i wish that not only was there like more awareness in regards to all of these different avenues of potential healing but um there was funding for it i feel like every single survivor of any kind of sexual assault, whether you are a man, whether you are a woman, whether it happened to you when you were in your thirties, whether it happened to you when you were two or three, you know, um, that you don't have to make the choice between having to put food on the table and, um, being able to afford to get the help that one needs. I also think that there's, I mean, 100% yes to everything you just said. And and I think that there's also a lot of, you know, forward movement, but still not enough movement, in my opinion, on kind of the stigma around asking for help um, and kind of coming forward and saying and, and not wanting to do something by yourself because you are afraid to do it because we're afraid of like what kind of the world will do to you if you open up and say that this happened to you and that you need help and that you need to heal. Um, and that was something that, you know, we explored on the show. And I, I, you know, to any survivors listening here that haven't opened up yet and that maybe feel strength from what you just said, Heather, because I think that it's, it's hearing others that have been through it and that, and that understand in a way that, you know, someone who hears your story and, and has never, you know, kind of been touched by sexual assault in that way. Um, it's like when that person tells you to get help, it's like there's, I feel like there's something lost in the connection. But I do think that hearing survivors say that that is important and that that is helping and that, and you know, it's to me, one of the most important things that and one of the one of the things that I hope to see kind of improve in the next, you know, in the years to come, which is, you know, survivors feeling safe um, and survivors feeling that they can ask for the help that they need and that they can get the help they need. I've talked to survivors who, you know, I've given them the even just the rain chat line. I'm just like, just I think it, it will really help to talk. And I've you know, I have been met by people that say, I, I don't know if I can right now. And 
when I hear that, I'm like, I wonder where that came from because I, it's, it's deeper than, I, I think it's deeper than the individual. I think it's actually a more like institutionalized, like shame that's put on this community and that is kind of out there. And so people are afraid to ask for help. And I think if we open it up and, and we make it like asking for help is the norm and, and we stop treating this like it's, you know, some disgusting, dirty secret that you have to keep. I, I mean, I think that I can't like it would, I don't even know what that world looks like. I hope to be able to see it. (laughs) I was just thinking about what you were saying about it being a horcrux. And I really love that analogy too. Cause I think one thing that sweet vicious aimed to do was show that your trauma, if you deal with it properly, can be a source of power. Um, and I think that's like what a horcrux is. I feel like Harry Potter is very much about him dealing with his childhood trauma mm-hmm. and healing. Yeah. Um, and I think Jen's absolutely right in that the more, I think also the Brock Turner letter, the reason why that story resonated with so many people and honestly, so many people are like, this is the first time I'm aware of this issue in this way. It's because that brave woman gave a voice from the other side that you often don't get to hear because like a lot of things that have to do with women's issues, it's surrounded by shame. I mean, I I think about this all the time too. Like as I've gotten older and I've had friends who have had miscarriages and abortions, no one talks about that shit. And the only way you can recover from all of that is by talking about it. So I think creating spaces and communities where it's acceptable is really important. And I think our job as TV writers, or I feel this responsibility as a female TV writer, is to enable and tell those types of stories ourselves. Because I think people do learn empathy through storytelling, through fiction. And um, yeah, I just think there are a lot of, there's a lot of (laughs) healing we need to do in general. Um, But I think, you know, giving a voice is the first step. Like um, just hearing from the victims or the survivors or whatever, you know, issue you're talking about is step number one. So you can understand. And if you're on the other side of it or you're someone who can offer help, you can hear it, listen, empathize, and then act. Yeah, I mean, I... And this is for me, you know, I haven't talked... I've, I've talked a bit about um, my experience, um, you know, because I am, am also still in, in the process of getting to work through it. And, you know, shame is like a very, very tricky, tricky thing. You know, um, I feel that inherently as women in general, we're taught to feel shame about who we are from a very, very young age, you know, um, that we are less than, that we are objects to be commodified, that we are one-dimensional, um, in service of a dude, you know, and, uh, and again, this is why this podcast is called fucking shut up and listen, 
because I swear to Christ, I can, I can literally like hear some of you like right now, even as we're talking, being like, well, not if you don't have a vagina, shut the fuck up. If you don't have a fucking vagina, you know nothing of what it is like to be a fucking woman. You have the privilege of walking down the street, not having to look over your shoulder for fear of getting raped. You have the privilege of getting to walk down the goddamn street in shorts and a fucking tank top. And you don't have to stand there and wonder and really what, what am I going to wear today? It's fucking 90 degrees out and it's really fucking hot. However, I don't really feel like getting catcalled today. That's every day. That's every day of my summer. (laughs) Like every single fucking day. And that idea of, you know, well, like learn how to take a compliment, you know, learn how to learn how to shut your fucking mouth. Learn how to shut your fucking mouth and mind your own goddamn business. You know, like, is that how you look at your mother? Is that how you look at your fucking sister? You know, like, what the fuck? I think it's so, I think the learn how to take a compliment thing is so interesting and there's so much like I would want to unpack there because, no, because when I, (laughs) when I think about it, it's like, Learn how to take a compliment. Okay. So you're saying you're complimenting me, but like, why does your compliment feel like harassment? Like what you're calling a compliment, I'm, it makes me, even if your tone is sweet in my body, I want to crawl inside myself. And like, so what, like, so I don't like, that's not a compliment. Yeah, but I you're, know. No, but I'm saying like, I'm just like, I, I think know. it's so interesting. And it's like, you know, I, I think that, you know, that the idea of saying like, it's, it's, it's something like, is that nice or it like, where, where is the line between sexual harassment and compliment? Because I do think sometimes people like, I like, there are men that, you know, can say like literally two men can say the exact same thing. And one, I'll be like, what a nice compliment. And one I'll be like, I'm, that makes me feel like I need 17 showers. So it's like, where is that line? And like, what is that? Is it strangers? Is it the person's disposition? Is it the way that they're looking at you? Like what? I think it's, there's, there's something so interesting to me about the line between kind of compliment and just, <laughs> just sexual harassment, because I do think that there's a line there and I think it moves around a lot and I think it's different for everyone. But you know what? I disagree. I disagree completely. I, you know what? I like keep on thinking of like my character from Princess Diaries when she's like, not you. I don't even know you. Like, I don't even know you. Um, I'm literally walking down the street, minding my own fucking business, minding my own fucking business. And that's, and that's the violation. And I think that because we've become so used to it and so accustomed to it that, um, it's become the norm and that even if we feel like a tiny, 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 tiny little bit uncomfortable, we've been taught to ignore that feeling because the prescribed 
argument is like you need to stop being so sensitive and you need to learn how to take a compliment and we're just trying to you know like just trying to approach you and be nice and do all those things where it's yeah but I didn't invite you in I didn't invite you into this narrative I didn't invite you into my lane I didn't invite you into my life I don't know you. I don't care to know you. I don't care what you think about my tank top. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care what you think about fucking anything unless I ask. Like, I don't care. And I I feel like if you're at a party um, and you're introduced to friends and they're like, hey, I love your hair. Or like, you've got great eyes. Thank you very much. Thank you. I will take that and I will receive that. But that's what I mean between the line between compliment and harassment. Yeah, but, but, and for me, I feel like there is a very clear difference in regards to on the street, it's harassment. In a, in a setting where I feel safe and I feel comfortable because um, I a, really don't go out when I do, it's with people that I feel very comfortable with. So I trust that, um, you know, they're not going to take you into a place. They're not going to take me into a place or with other individuals that make me feel uncomfortable. And also I've had the experience though of being in situations like that where dudes that like our friends or acquaintances have made me feel very uncomfortable. And the difference between my response to that when I was in my early twenties and I didn't feel like I could say anything versus now, which is no, sorry. That made me feel really gross. And I don't appreciate that. Um, I don't know you in that way, nor do I care to. And on top of that, I don't really give a fuck about your feelings about it because it's not about you. It's about me. And I've learned, um, I love myself enough now to not give a fuck about what anybody else thinks in any way, shape or fucking form because my beingness is not for anyone except me and who I explicitly and expressly choose to share that with. And if I haven't given you that fucking invitation, don't try and crash this fucking party because you'll get punched in the fucking face verbally or physically. Sorry. I just, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm going to fucking fully own that. Like, I'm still learning. I think all of us are. I say sorry, and then I take it back all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I do it to my boyfriend a lot, and he's like, I don't get, I don't like this. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm learning not to say sorry to people. And he's like, but you're, but like, you didn't, you didn't do the dishes. <laughs> I was like, but I'm not sorry about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. I walked into almost every meeting I took as a, you know, creator of a television show and started with like, sorry, do you have a minute? And I'm like, why, why am I sorry? Why am I sorry? <laughs> uh, it's like, sorry, I'm sorry. I just, could we, do you mind if we had a chat for a second? I'm so sorry. And I would just like keep saying sorry. And in my head, I was like, you're not sorry. 
like why are you doing that so I try and like really actively not fucking say sorry because I'm like I'm not I've like never heard a guy be like sorry can I talk to you <laughs> I've never heard that I just have one story of recent harassment that I thought I'd share because it's all this I it's about something I wish I had said in the moment where this old man gets on a ski lift with me and my two best friends, oh, no. Sophie and Allegra, and we're like head to toe, helmet, like fluorescent onesies, like we look like skiers. And he gets on the lift with us and he's like, oh, bunch of pretty girls. Hope I can control myself. And it's like someone's dad. He's like fully just looks like a dad. Throw that and start off the lift. <laughs> he's just talking to my friend Allegra. They like, group you know live near each other in LA all this stuff and I when he said hope I can control myself I so badly wanted to be like what are you gonna do rape us like what a crazy thing to say to a group of women like what do you mean also we're all wearing fluorescent ski onesies it was just so fucking nuts you could have been buck ass fucking naked oh totally naked on that ski lift so it's just and such it's a weird thing to be still... like, hope I can control myself. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think about it all the time. I wish I could have just said it out loud. I should have. But I, instead, I just was like, Ugh. What kept you from saying anything? <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those things where I was just replaying it in my head until I had the perfect response. No, <laughs> like but, that whole lift ride. But in that, But in that moment. It just didn't. Like, it just doesn't seem worth it sometimes. Or I, like, I, I'm not too scared to say it because I've definitely said stuff like that before. But sometimes you're just like, oh, I just want to get on this ski lift, man. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to confront you harassing me in a very, like, clearly what you think is an innocuous compliment. It's just like sometimes it's so exa- because it happens so frequently, I think it's so exhausting to have to do it every time. But I think that's something I could probably work on. <laughs> no, it's fucking such fucking bullshit. It's so exhausting. Yeah, it's such fucking bullshit that we have to confront men and women. I've been harassed by women too. Um, way less, but it's like it's happened. Oh yeah, I, they, yeah. They, like I, I, you know, I don't like to, you know, pick which it. I wanna. Uh, yes, continue. Um, but I do think it's like there's something so fucked up and backwards. Like we, like we all, we have to, we have to take the harassment and we don't say anything because we're exhausted but then if we don't say anything then we get the like well why didn't you say anything and then you're like exhausted from that too and you're like Bleh, like <laughs> you know it's like i do think like there's just like it's just like it's like it's like a revolving door of suck it's just sucks and i you know i it's like will men or women or you know whoever's doing this harassment learn if you know kind of people don't speak up for themselves and say something and like who the fuck knows because i don't necessarily think that they're going to change if if a bunch of women start saying stop doing that i think they're just going to find another woman that didn't say that to them yet and a i hope that what i said to you um wasn't inferred as why didn't you say anything oh no 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 i didn't mean that i I didn't mean that i just that wasn't directed at you no i just wanted to don't worry because but it is a good intellectual oh sorry microphone it was a good it's a good intellectual exercise to like I had to think like why didn't I say anything and I think it's important to question your choices and I 
hadn't put into words just like the sheer exhaustion element of like this happens so often mm-hmm. i recently or, or this was probably a year ago now like a homeless teenager came up to me and asked for a dollar and i gave him a dollar and he told me i should smile more <laughs> and i was like i want to die <laughs> like i'm trying to help you out you're clearly in dire straits and somehow like i am here for your enjoyment i don't understand no it's exhausting i i <laughs> it's I, so crazy i it, i completely get it and this is what i found for me um and again i'm sorry if you've heard this before but it bears repeating i don't know what voice that is that's not a voice that i normally do it's new it's like it's like a muppet yeah it is a muppet Muppet. um hire me for voice work comedy central or whatever the fuck adult swim swim. hire me adult swim um but no seriously like i smoke and so people on the street will ask me for cigarettes and in the moments that i haven't wanted to give one i've been like sorry I, i don't have any and that's a lie and then i feel guilty because i've lied and said that I didn't have one when I did. And I think, well, why didn't, why didn't you give them one? You have one to give. And I recognize you just substitute cigarette for body. You substitute cigarette for money. You substitute cigarette for anything. Where um, <clears throat> just because you have it doesn't mean you need to give it. You know, like therein lies, like it's choice is empowering. Choice is absolutely empowering. And I think that from the moment that we exit the womb. Saying no is empowering. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And with that, though, it's the. Getting to be in conscious choice of getting to say no. Or yes. You know, there's yes. this like great line, you can't have a real yes until you have a real no. And if if you've been raised, as I think most of us have been, most certainly me, where you're not allowed to say no. You know, in whether it's, and I use this example all the time, whether it's, go give uncle Tommy and aunt Janie a hug and a kiss. And that's, I don't want to, well, I don't, I don't care what you want. You do it. Be, be a good girl. Be a good girl. Go do it. Comply. Which, which says, you know, in a huge way, even if the child isn't cognizant of it, Oh, their feelings are more important than my sense of safety and comfortability. It's a continual um, microaggression of I don't matter, I don't matter, I don't matter, I don't matter, these feelings don't matter, these feelings don't matter, until you get to the point where it's, I don't really want to have sex with this person, but okay, like I've been, I've been taught two completely separate things where I've been told like you're allowed to say no. Except when the person of authority is saying, like, no, you must, which is normally the parents, you know. Um, and I feel like it's it's so detrimental that children get to have the active choice 
in terms of who it is that they hug, who it is that they kiss um, when they want to, and that you can change your mind mid. You can hug one and not the other. And if the adult is going to be so fucking offended um, by that, like, oh my God, they didn't hug me. They hugged my wife or my husband. Why not me? Then you need to get your ass into some fucking therapy. If you were, if you were really um, personally offended that, like, a child, by a six-year-old, yeah, <laughs> um, it just it it drives me so fucking batty, and I just I just don't give a fuck anymore. Like, I just don't. I don't care. I don't care who the fuck you are. I don't care where the fuck I am. If you make me uncomfortable, I'm going to say so. Like, I'm I'm done with, like, the boundary crossing. Like, I'm done. I can't. I can't afford it anymore. Like, I can't. Yeah, just, ch- it's like, it's chips and chips and chips and chips and chips until there's a huge crack, and then you split in half. And that's how that, I mean, I think that that, like, it's, that's how I feel about you know everything you just said I have uh, this is bringing it back to something that we talked about like five minutes ago but you were ta- oh god how did you word it you were talking about we were talking about the way people talk to you on the street mm-hmm. um, and how women are you know we just like we don't deal with it or even like what you said um, and the chill the fuck out that you said something you said something and then but if you say something back they usually say chill the fuck out yeah i was walking my dog my boyfriend and i were walking my dog two days ago and we were by the reservoir in silver lake and we i this woman was on a cell phone and she had kind of like a pit ish type of dog and i my dog is deaf and he doesn't understand aggress aggressive behavior because he doesn't hear and he doesn't totally know and he just thinks everyone's his best friend so not in a way that's like i mean that dog could have been completely lovely but i always get a little weary especially when an owner is on the phone and like not paying attention to their dog i there's usually like a bit of a disconnect in the training as well i've found um when i see that type of person um and a hundred percent the dog leapt and tr- and bit my dog and like not hard but like went to bite my dog in the neck i pulled beans my dog's name is beans i pulled beans up he like yelped but he was okay and the girl's like on her phone and she like starts to pull the and we're pulling the dog away and she my boyfriend was like pay attention and he didn't say it in a rude way he was just like pay attention and she snapped at him and she said chill the fuck out She's like, there. It's a fucking dog. She's like, he didn't do anything. You need to chill the fuck out. And was aggressive with him in a way that I feel like we've all experienced men be aggressive after we say something they don't like. Mm-hmm. But like, my bless him, love him endlessly. My like, you know, privileged white boyfriend <laughs> hasn't dealt with that as much. I don't think, especially like in day to day, just kind of like that experience where it's like so off the cuff. And he got really affected by it, and he was like wanted to kind of go at it with her and I was like no 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 we're gonna go this way because honestly I thought this woman might punch him in the face um she was <laughs> she was a lot but um but it was interesting to me to see someone who doesn't deal like for me I was just like yeah you just got to keep walking 
I'm like you just gotta keep it's fine you just gotta keep walking you just gotta like let that like live behind you and in a different like because I also think that there are some people who are aggressive and and I just like I can see it in their eyes and I'm like nothing I'm gonna say is gonna get through to you in any way mm-hmm. you're just gonna elevate this to a place where I'm just like it's just gonna get crazy mm-hmm. and so I as self-preservation, I'm mm-hmm. not going to do this. Like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to engage with you because there's nothing will come of it. And I, you know, I feel like I've gotten to that place from years of engaging and having people scream in my face. And so it was interesting to see someone who like, d- that doesn't happen to them all the time. And it's not like a weekly normal thing to like, kind of have to deal with a level or version of chill the fuck out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is, it's like, cool <laughs> yeah yeah he was like really upset and i was like yeah i was like he's like she can't just say that and i'm like she did and and also the fact that the aggressor was a woman i was like I, everything about this it tickles me <laughs> and it's 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 interesting um because a i have to say that i had a yellow lab pit mix for 13 years um i love pits i think that they are amazing 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 dogs um because i know if i was listening to this i'd be like wait uh like pits get such a bad rap um and i completely agree with you in regards to like anytime i see i don't care like what kind of fucking dog the owner has that if they're not um paying attention because i feel like having a dog is like having a loaded shotgun um like you never know when they might go off yeah and I, like, I also, I'm like, I don't think there are bad dogs. I mean, maybe there are bad dogs. I, I don't know. I think there are bad, I think there are bad owners. I don't believe in oh, bad yeah. dogs. I just Absolute. don't, I mean, whatever breed they are, I think that if you are an owner that is going to nurture that dog and, and train it and teach it to be loving, the dog is going, and, and if you love the animal, I think the dog is going to pay that forward. Yeah. If you were a shitty bitch on a cell phone who's <laughs> not paying attention to your dog who just wants attention... I think that they're going to act out and do something to get your attention because they love you and they want you to watch them. Yeah. And also because it proves that like they are not the alpha and that the dog is obviously the alpha because then the dog is walking around with this idea that it needs to protect its owner. Like when I walk with Nenea, you know, and like Nenea is like a, she's a Shiba Inu, um, mix and she's like not that big but like henry like love of my life the yellow lab pit bull mix um he had like a problem with other dogs like he had a problem with other dogs um he like had been homeless when he was rescued and like ba 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 but the point is he knew who the fuck was in charge and it was not him like don't play like, you fucker, I love you, but uh-uh. Yeah. Like, I'm the one that's in charge here. Like, Julia Roberts in August SH County. <laughs> you don't understand. I'm the one running things now. I thought that movie was a mess. You thought that movie was a mess? I mean, I saw the play. So did I. Do- Who did you see it with? Who did I see it with? Estelle Persons? I saw it. I think I saw the original cast or whoever just whoever did it on broadway yeah six i don't know how many years ago it was 
No, it had to have been more. I'm, I don't know when things happened. <laughs> One of the best plays I've ever seen. So good. I haven't seen the movie. Oh. I haven't seen the movie, but I also saw the play. Loved it. It's so it's so fucking good. But I love the I love the movie A because um I loved Julia Roberts in it and I loved Meryl Streep in it. And I feel like it was a more intimate version, obviously, um of that play. And just very, very, very different. Um like I appreciated it greatly and also though like Estelle Parsons for fuck's sakes it's absolutely absolutely brilliant um that must have been who I saw I don't know I can find the playbill I keep all my playbills do you really yes <laughs> since I was a child me too <laughs> just added I just added dear Evan Hansen to my collection my god uh, I throw out everything I keep everything I have like concert i keep all my concert tickets unless it's like something shitty that i'm like this was bad i don't want to i don't want to like look back and be like remember when i did that um i keep like concert tickets i don't know in my brain i'm like this is cool and this is my life and like i want to like look back on this one day and be like oh and like ha- and like i feel like it trigger it helps me like remember things and it like triggers memories when i go through it every couple years wow yeah no nope i'm not a hoarder Because my mom is, like, an obsessive organizer person. Like, her... She's always like, I can't think with all this mess. So I've been trained to throw out everything. But I do keep concert tickets. And thank you... I don't keep happy birthday cards that are just like, happy birthday. But if there's any sort of personalization, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll keep that. But, yeah, I did definitely recently find a birthday card from an ex-boyfriend. And I was like... I don't want to feel these feelings rereading this, but I am glad I kept it because it's good to remember. And it does, I think it activates something important and makes your life feel more real. Because I don't really, I tend to not think about the past that much, which is probably a big flaw. But it, so I have to like have these things to be like, oh yeah, that did happen. That was real. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I like threw out. Well, first of all, I talked about this on um, the Lady to Lady podcast. I refer to her as Maria Kunto, the magic, Mm -hmm. the the magic art of tidying up. (laughs) Yeah, like fucking Maria, Maria fucking Kunto. I'm mid condo right now. Kunto. Kunto right now. There needs to be a preface in that book. Maria Kondo, Kanto, where if you're depressed, you should not be engaging. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. In at, that activity. That's just a very no. funny idea because nothing is going to spark joy. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I got rid of, I got, you can see right now, like half these books aren't even mine. They're like my girlfriend's. Um, but I got rid of like over 200 books. I got rid of 98% of my wardrobe because it was, does this spark joy? No. Does this spark joy? No. Because I was severely fucking depressed. Yes. And I had taken the suggestion from a friend that was like, 
get rid of those things that no longer serve you. Read this book, blah, blah, blah. It'll open up like new avenues and areas in your life, which is true. Like it did um, in ways that I had, uh, had to get all new things. Well, that's the thing too, right? I, I, I never buy clothes for myself, like ever. Like over half of my wardrobe is wardrobe from movies that I've done. <laughs> That's so nice. um, but I'm like, it's like, you know, it's not like Chanel and like Gucci. It's like literally like no, it's whatever just like the, the jeans that you wore in that movie that yeah. you were wearing today. Yeah. <laughs> like absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like this shirt has like holes in it. Cause I just, I don't fucking care. Um, but like, I just was like, okay, I'm going to order clothes for the first time. And I was checking like DHL, like every other day, like a lunatic. Cause I'm like, when are my clothes coming? When are my clothes coming? I'm so excited. Oh my God. What happened? <laughs> Do you want them? Or you don't like them? Send them back. <sighs> well, first of all, see, but that means that I have to like go to the post office and I have to pay for shipping on my own. You have to do free shipping, free returns. Well, God damn it. I didn't fucking know. Like, I, 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 I can I, help you through this. I am a, <laughs> I am a disgusting online shopper and I don't, I don't keep anything. I just like to try things on and, and then I send it all <laughs> back. It's so, it's like so fucked up and so sad. Um, I also have a different version of the condo thing where, cause the spark joy thing, I'm, I lie to myself. <laughs> so like, I'll hold something up and be like, even though no one's there with me, I'm like, does this spark joy? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, it doesn't. And it's like, yeah, it does. Like, I'm like <laughs> I'll do that alone. Um, so now my new thing is I put a suitcase in the middle of my closet and I'm like, okay, your house is on fire and you can only fit one suitcase. What are you putting in this suitcase? And that's what I do. And then everything left, I go through. Whoa. Wow. That's my new thing. Because it's like, yeah, it's not healthy. I think you're onto something and you should write a book. I would read it. I'm serious. Fire suitcase. Fire suitcase. Get on it. <laughs> oh, fire suitcase. <laughs> Sorry, I have to go call my book agent. Just kidding. <laughs> we'll get you one. Don't worry. I want to read this. Fire suitcase. It's just one page. <laughs> it's a pamphlet. What would? What else would be in fire suitcase? What else could you like? What are different versions of the Marie Kondo thing? I don't think you should do fire suitcase when you're depressed either. But I do think it's a more like concise. Because I think if you're depressed, you're just going to be like, let it burn. Like I don't know that you're going to do that either. But um, it feels more concise and to the point, and like there's more urgency involved. Then does the spark joy? I feel like my one pitch for an alternate version of this is getting your meanest friend to come over and you put on all your clothes and have them say, is that what you're wearing? And then <laughs> go from there. <laughs> I think that's a good way to purge. I, the thing about that is because then I'll go on the dip, like I know myself. And if someone's like, is that what you're going out? I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I really fucking like this. Like, I, just because I'm a, just because I like don't like if someone, like, there will be times I am someone that doubles down when someone doesn't like something. <laughs> even if I'm like, I, even if I've previously looked in the mirror and been like, I don't know that this is great. 
I think this is where my little sisterness comes out because my sister once submitted or threatened to submit me for the show what not to wear. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? That's <laughs> so mean. Don't say that to me. She's like, well, you got a shopping spree. <laughs> but did she genuinely think that you needed help? No. Well, debatable. Hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah. But I mean, it was, honest. I was like, oh, what? But that's, I think, a little sister thing where you're like, you tell me. For me, I would just invite my... I do this in real life anyway. Just invite my sister over and I'm like, help. <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. <laughs> yeah. This is so insane. We went down a really long path to get here. It's... I don't have... I don't have like that gene. I mean, I threw away my yearbooks. I throw away every... I don't have, I don't think I have my yearbooks. I did the other day find, this is like, this is hoarder level. Like this is fucked up. I found a movie ticket for love actually. (laughs) A physical movie ticket. (laughs) I was like, and I, then I kept it. I didn't throw it away. I was like, I was like, I've had it for this long. I should probably keep this. (laughs) Do you remember, do you remember who you saw it with? Throw it out. No, it was, I, no, I gotta throw it out. I'll throw it out. I mean, Celeste is is gonna come to my house and throw away this movie ticket. Yeah, I mean, that idea of like, when in doubt, throw it out. When in doubt, throw it out. Um, I'm in doubt about everything. Um, And also, this is interesting. I feel like there's such a stigma to, I remember like both of my exes, one of the reasons that they're exes. Um, you, you're so unsentimental. Like you're so unsentimental. I would like be accused of that on the reg. Um, and that is not the case at all. It's because I'm way too sentimental. Like, I'm way, way too sentimental. Um, and I don't want to get, I never want to be that person that gets, like, lost and stuck in their past. You know what I mean? And, like, it's like, oh, remember when? Remember when? Like, whatever the fuck. Like, that's why the only thing I keep are my journals. I keep my journals and I have photos and that's it. I feel I never journaled and I feel like having all this shit is like my version of a journal. Mm. I do think that that like to me like that like because I it's like instead of having a journal where I wrote down like today I went to see this band. I I just have the stuff like the the ticket and I'm like that's my journal entry. It's just a much you know crazier hoardery way of it's like it just it's a very backwards journal to me okay okay i i can understand that yeah i but i wouldn't even that's the thing that's so fucked up do you journal i journal only in times of great distress (laughs) which makes for very interesting reads later on in life and i did when i was a child you know what's interesting i moved home last year and i lived with my parents for a little bit And so I went through all these old journals I had and weirdly, and this is not weird at all, but it was weird to me at the time. Every one of my most salient memories from childhood was something I had journaled about. 
So now moving forward, I realize like, oh, I should write my shit down more because then I'll remember it later on. Like these are the things I clearly commit to like my mythology by writing them down. So I wish I did it more, but truly I find when I'm in great distress or anxiety, that's when I write in journals and it's truly so helpful. Mm. (laughs) But when I'm happy, I don't want to do it. So that's, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. Well, why? I think because I don't like, not even when I'm happy. I know when I'm avoiding myself too. Where I'm ah. like, I don't want to feel these feelings. <laughs> I'm an avoider. So, um, but I think when in times of great like trauma or distress, I have, and I, and like the feelings are so on the surface, I have to journal because also I can't like move on or, you know, act in the real world. I, I just have, my brain spins too much. So I feel like when I'm in that brain spin sensation, I do journal. But uh, if I'm like anywhere in between, I usually want to avoid like steeping myself in that level of feeling. Why? Because uh, it's scary or it's hard. Like, I don't know. It's pretty surface. I've since gone to therapy, which has, you know, been very, extremely helpful in my life. But mm-hmm. yeah, I... I it's just, it's just, uh, I think it, it's a confrontation of yourself that I sometimes am not prepared to do on a daily basis. <laughs> that's so, that's so interesting. Cause like, this is the shit. I just saw you gone Sorry, and I was going to say something so fucking snarky, but I decided not to. I know that you are. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, it's so weird that, that, <laughs> Hold on, just a quick um, note that Jen is wearing a shirt that says, thanks, have an adult day, two exclamation points, and yeah. a smiley face. Which I love, what? and you're wearing sweatpants. You're the only You're the only person that has actually um, taken my request seriously to fucking come comfortably, like wear sweats, wear your pajamas. I don't give a fuck. I once had a birthday party at Roscoe's chicken and waffles (gasps) where i told everyone to wear so it was like a friday night and i was like wear sweatpants i'm wearing sweatpants and i showed up in sweatpants and all my friends were like why did you wear that we wanted to take you out and i was like for this exact reason (laughs) 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 i was like because i'm eating chicken and waffles and then i am going home (laughs) oh my god when jen hired me to write on sweet vicious i like had a good feeling because she followed me on twitter but her twitter bio at the time was just sweatpants enthusiast (laughs) And I was like, all right, but your profile picture is you in a robe on a swing looking real cool. But then I met you in real life and you are a sweatpants enthusiast. (laughs) I was like, this really, that was an honest bio that I didn't realize at the time. I tell everyone I like, I, when I start to work with like seriously work with someone and like, it's not like a general meeting. I, I like slowly decline in not, I wouldn't say decline. I don't want to use that word. I, I kind of slowly go from wearing like really nice outfit and heels and like really nice outfit and boots and like really nice outfit and sneakers and then like jeans and a t-shirt and sneakers and then like my pajamas <laughs> my pajamas my pajamas my pajamas <laughs> like i when making a, a movie um later this year and i was i have been going to meetings for that and i looked at one of the other producers and i was like just so you know like on set like i i'm gonna look like like a little like a little trash muppet like i'm gonna like i'm gonna look like a little like a i dress like 
if a child were able to dress themselves. Like I'm very like a comfortable child, like a leisurely child. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. I feel I feel yeah, no shame. <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, I would say that I was a sweatpants enthusiast if I ever wore pants. I I don't wear pants. Yeah, I don't wear I, pants at home. I literally I work from home and I never wear pants. I like wear like little boy short like underwear, like whatevs and like occasionally a robe and like I don't give a fuck. I love being pants free. And the next best thing to being pants free is sweatpants. Yeah, I need an elastic waistband. And I need like a drawstring. And I love I these sweatpants. Thank and you. you pull it off so well. Like that's the thing you pull off you pull it off so well so you don't look like a quote unquote trash muppet. <laughs> just to, just for the listeners out there cuz I feel like yes, you wear sweatpants and sometimes sweatpants verging on pajamas to work. But you don't comport yourself like a trash monster. You're not like I am these sweatpants. You are a boss bitch on set like you are clearly in charge and no one questions it so i'm just saying it's not about the sweatpants it's about the wearer i think it's even more of a power move to like to be a boss in sweatpants my i i'll my brother and i were at chipotle having lunch and i was wearing sweatpants and like my you know and like my big oversized glasses and like some random t-shirt that i probably slept in and he was like you know what i love about you He's like, even one day when you, he's like, will undoubtedly have like millions of dollars and, and be like a very big force in the entertainment industry. He's like, you're still going to dress just like this. <laughs> he's like, and I love that. And I love knowing that. He's like, maybe the sweatpants will be more expensive. And <laughs> that's all that will change. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I think that like comfort is if you're, if your number one aim is getting to be as comfortable as possible. Yeah. Um, my aesthetic is the female Adam Sandler. <laughs> oh my God. Minus the everything. Just his, I, like the, like, cause you, he like wears like basketball shorts on, on, um, and sweatpants. On yeah. But talk I'm, show gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm going to call you out on that, dude. I'm going to don't like, don't do it in a talk show. Wait, appearance. listen, no, <laughs> hold on. I'm like, I'm catching myself in something. I don't know how I feel about it. I do not like Adam Sandler. Yes. That is okay. Yes. And so with that, what I would, like when I, and this is me, just like, whatever. You can like compare yourself to like whoever the fuck you want. Um, I just think it's interesting because I do it myself as well in terms of like, I used to call myself the female Sean Penn before I found out that he like beat Madonna with a baseball bat. I no longer say that. Um, But I'm the female blah, blah, blah. I'm the female blah, blah, blah. As opposed to just, you know what I mean? It's like, A, why, why need to make the comparison? And B. I was just trying to find someone that wore like a leisurely outfit on a talk show. And I don't know any women that have done that. So that's why I went with Adam Sandler. Because I do, I do try not to do exactly what you're saying, yeah. which is call, which is especially like there are times when, you know, I've 
been in meetings or been in this and they, and they, you know, people ask me like, whose career do you want? Like, mm-hmm. like if you could have any career and I was like, I want my career. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want anyone else's career. I want my, I want to do my own thing mm-hmm. because I don't know that anyone's done what I want to do before. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. And so the, you know, like I'll say something that, and recently someone was like the female JJ Abrams. And I was like, no, like, sure. I guess that, I mean, I'm not going to turn my nose up to the idea of being, of like achieving what that man has achieved. I was like, but no, because even if I achieved everything that he achieved, it would be a completely different career because I am a woman. So I would, it would, it would just be a completely different thing. Because I don't know any women that are achieving what men like that are achieving as regularly and are able to, you know, kind of just like have free reign in that way, especially in the future space. So do you want to talk about Wonder Woman now? (laughs) I was just reading. I think it's the Hollywood Reporter published a piece today where it was like, uh, it was like, yeah. Oh, that's what it was. It was like, I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah. Please read it verbatim because it is people were dragging them on Twitter, which I really appreciated. Yeah, including me. Well, it's so it's just so blatant. Yeah. This was this was it. Hollywood Reporter. Hashtag Wonder Woman. Werner Brothers is gambling $150 million with a filmmaker whose only prior big screen credit was an $8 million indie to which I personally wrote, Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> First fucking movie was a $750,000 indie called Safety Not Guaranteed. His next movie, motherfuckers, was Jurassic fucking Park. John Watt, Jurassic fucking world, whatever the fuck. I don't <laughs> give a shit. All I know is that, like, what's her fuck? Runs around in heels. Runs around in oh, fucking heels. in an all white out. That Bryce whole thing Dallas is so Howard, psychotic. Who's not Jessica Chastain. <laughs> um, and John Watt's first movie was Cop Car, which was made for $800,000. And his next movie was Spider-Man. Yeah, they're just like, that is... Trevor O is like the example of that. And it's so crazy that they would even run that headline. But also something I think about with Trevor O all the time, just in terms of thinking about my own career, Trevor O got that job because Brad Bird, I believe. Well, yes, we're getting there. Introduced him to Spielberg and was like, this guy reminds me of a young me. So it's like this like patriarchal, handing of the baton where they see themselves in these like schlubby dudes who wear baseball hats on set or whatever i mean i don't know what Colin trevor looks like but i'm just saying there is a like mentorship aspect to getting those movies and i think something i think about all the time as a female writer and whatever in the future is just leaning into mentorship situations and just be really i mean it's just about supporting each other and i think this is something that's finally happening now even jessica chastain did you see that video of her at can saying i'm really disappointed in the way women are represented in all of these films yes <laughs> like that's so badass and so speaking out like that but then also like jessica chastain ha- sorry i have orthodontia in right now so saying jessica chastain is a nightmare to me because <laughs> i'm listening adorable but she has a production company and so she has the power to hire women writer and hire women directors and like do all these things that I think are finally starting to happen. 
but it is insane that the Hollywood Reporter in this day and age would say it's a gamble. And I would I would add this. Because <laughs> um, you and I have talked about this <clears throat> quite a bit. That, yeah, I think, like, it's fucking awesome that, like, I've never met Jessica Chastain. I think that it is awesome that she's speaking up and she's speaking out um, in the way that she is. I also am very aware of a ton of women that don't have as big of a platform as her that I've been speaking out about this for years. Um, and then all of a sudden it's the, yeah, isn't it so great that like blah, blah, blah is like speaking up about blah, 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 where it's like, this has been, this isn't a new and B, I, I feel like the, That when women that have a very huge platform are able to say not just women that look like me, but women of color, you know, women with disabilities, like that true intersectionalism, um, then I will start really quote unquote believing the hype because I think that there's like Nicole Kidman that's who's like, I'm going to work with a female director like once every 18 months, you know? And it's like, bless <laughs> God bless her. Yeah. Like God bless you. And, and the fact that, that you get to have that choice. Um, you know, because I look at somebody like fucking like Ava uh, DuVernay, who I fucking love and cherish, and that she she's not even talking. She's just walking. That every single director on Queen Sugar has been female, you know, and uh, I feel, and again, like not all white women However, especially in this fucking industry. There's that. I, I want to be able to raise the banner of being a feminist um, with actu- w- without having to do any of the work that it entails and w- wanting to reap all of the reward. And... Um, than getting ultimately dragged as a result, you know, cause it's, you're full of shit. Like you're full of shit. Like stop talking and tweeting and start doing, you know? Um, I don't know. Did you feel, and feel free not to answer this. Did you feel that what Jessica Chastain said was like false? Did you feel, did you feel that she was, was it, is it her or is it other women or is it like, where does this kind of like, where does this stem from the idea that it's 
you're like being, you know, kind of like this a Twitter is, feminist. This is, this is where it stems from. It stems from my own personal experience of reaching out to other women within the industry. Women that have been like, oh my God, I'm such a huge fan of your work. Like you need to be working more. Oh my God. Like I would love to be able to work with you. Ba, 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 ba. And then, you know, that what you think that like, I'm like, let me get my thoughts in order. Where the like typical response is supposed to be like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, thank you so much. That means the world to me, you know, and then you're supposed to go on your way as opposed to, yeah, I'd love that. Let's do it. What are you doing? You know, where yeah, it's, that I understand. <clears throat> yeah. so, so in that regard, when I see women within this industry and it, it hasn't, and my only experience with this has been with white women. It hasn't been with women of color at all in any way, shape or form, um, <clears throat> where there's a lot of my God, yeah, I would love to work with you. I'd love to do this. I would love to do that. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's all bullshit. Like, it's all bullshit. So the don't pretend that you're for this thing, which is empowering women, you know, supporting women, um, because then when you're actually asked to back it up with action and it's complete fucking silence, you know what I mean? Um, and, and to me, I, I loathe a hypocrite. I would rather have somebody be like, I don't like you and I don't like your work. I don't think you're very attractive and I don't think you're talented. I think you should actually just quit while you're ahead. Because I have no desire to work with you at all. I would rather actually hear that than, oh my God, I love your work. I've loved you for such a long time. I would love to find something to work with you on. I would love to work with you. I think you're so great. And I think that you should be doing more. Let's find something for you. And then you're like, uh, okay. Cause I, I, you feel like a fool. Well, because I take it, I take it at face value. Yeah. I haven't, I'm not that cynical in the sense of, and this is where, and I would love to know, like from both of you, um, I remember that my ex had called me. Okay. Um, my love just sent me a text message. Um, sorry. Um, because we're recording this like in my house and my love is like so generous and it's like, just let me know when you're done. Um, but God damn it. I just totally lost track of what I was saying. I would love to work with you and it being. Oh yeah. So like I remember an ex of mine had been like, <clears throat> you can't take people so literally. And my response is, well, how else am I supposed to take them? Yeah, what? Like, 
she was like, you really need to like understand like the like social nuance and people might say something just to be like nice and whatever. And I'm like, that's not how I roll. So if you say something, I'm going to fucking believe you. Um, and like, and that for me is it, you know? So it's, I think like, again, that it's like awesome and amazing that Jessica Chastain like said what she said. I've never met the woman. I'm sure she's fucking awesome. Um, and like, I, I really hope that she, um, works with a lot of women, particularly women of color, you know, um, like women that haven't been given like a quote unquote opportunity. Um, and like with that too, to a certain degree, I'm like, it's actually not even my, it's not my fucking business, you know? Um, because I've got to focus on what I'm doing and where I want to go and who I want to work with and what I want to do. Not that I'm saying I don't want to work with her because I'd fucking love to. I'd love to work with Jessica Chastain. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I hear what you're saying, which is like, it's one thing to say and another thing to put it into action. And I think that like, that's maybe what's hopefully about to happen for the first time <laughs> is that like, I think, I don't know, even just, I worked with Jen on this amazing female-driven show, and, you know, Amanda Lasher, who, you know, was the co-showrunner on it, and showrunner, sorry, technically, I'm inaccurate, but, man, I love you, but they have created this environment of mentorship and friendship, frankly, and I think, like, that's what dudes have naturally going into this business is, like, it's just this, like, we are bros in this together vibe, and I think, generationally speaking, a lot of women got ahead by being the only woman in the room, and I think the thing that I hope is changing now is multiple women in the room helping each other out every step of the way. Yeah. And And I think that's, like, that's the object, Mm. and I hear what you're saying about Jessica Chastain. It's, like, Okay, well, you have a production company. Let's hire all women scribes and all women directors. I've never said scribes before. I don't know why I use that word. But here we are. Um, But yeah, but I do think like her saying it is important. And just to bring it full circle, like the way the Brock Turner letter, like hearing that woman's voice for the first time ignited this issue to an audience that had never considered it before. And so I hope like someone who has such an incredible platform saying something like that and it going viral on Twitter will have an effect that is more than just yeah, absolutely. empty promises. Absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, uh, I just, I feel like so many people are so fucking full of shit. Um, and they, are given this title or respect as like a feminist, as someone that's forward thinking, but, 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 um, where it can be just as exclusive, you know, it can be just as, <clears throat> fucked up, you know, and I, I think something that I try and do 
is whenever I have an opportunity to bring another woman into something, I do. And I don't tell the story because I want to pat myself on the back, but I'd say it to like kind of put it out there for others to do as well. And I don't think that this is just in the entertainment industry. I think it's in any industry. I think it's in any situation that in life Mm -hmm. with this podcast. Yeah. You asked me to be on your podcast. Yeah. And I said, hey, I would like, I think Celeste should also be on your podcast. Yes. And so it's. And what was my response? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fuck Yes. And I think that it's it's more of that. It's more of like, I think that because women have to fight so much harder and, you know, women of color have to fight quadruple whatever we have to do as white women. And that is, you know, where women of color are because they have to fight even harder and even more. And women's disabilities and women, you know, LGBTQ women. I think that IA. IA. Sort of fucking god every week. There's a lot of there's a lot of letters there. I apologize if I missed one. Um, uh, I'm sure there's a new. Letter. I don't mean to diminish any of the letters. I, they are all I equally diminish. important. I'm I do like, not. Jesus Christ! <laughs> fucking goddamn alphabet. Um, uh, but I think that if you can, see, I think that it's easy to see an opportunity as an opportunity just for you, and to fear that if you let another woman in, that she will take the opportunity away or lessen your opportunity. And I don't believe in that. Yeah, I mean, I I used to want to work on late night shows and I would like do these packets and every time I did one I got the sense like, oh, you're competing for the one woman job. Like, and I think we just all come from that mindset of like in almost every writers room, like there are two women slots, which is less and less the case nowadays, but I still think like I'm pretty new to writing on TV shows. And that's like kind of the mindset I had is I was like, oh, I am. You're just like put in a position where you feel like you're competing with your peers. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think the thing you do to change it is to bring other people up with you the way Jen was describing. Absolutely. And the idea that there's not enough to go around. Um, And that is not the case. And to bring this even fuller circle the idea of getting to ask for help, the getting the idea of getting to be oh, sorry, I just totally kicked Jen's foot. What size shoe are you? Five. <gasps> I'm a six. Oh my god. Tiny tiny feeted women. <laughs> tiny footed. Feeted? Feeted. Um but the getting to ask for what you want unapologetically. I also think asking for help because I think that there's... Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like... Go. No. no. I'm oh, going to shut up and listen. <laughs> I think, you know, I... I was I, I was 26 when I sold my show and I was really afraid that if I asked for help that people would think I didn't know what I was doing. And as I progress and as and the thing that I learn and thing that I'll take with me through everything I do in my entire career for the rest of my life is like the people that are asking for help, it doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. It means that you're good at what you're doing and you want to be better at it and you want to make informed decisions and you want to make the right decision. And I think that you can't do that by not asking for input and asking for help and collaborating it doesn't make you weak and i will say this because that just this just made me think of this and i think it's so to anybody that is listening that is in a similar 
position that I am in, in regards to, (sighs) and again, I think this is like for most women, when you know your worth, right? And uh, you're able to go to another person and say, hey, I would like help with X, Y, and Z. Because this is where I would like to go. This is what I would like to do. And I fucking kid you not, this is what I've been actually met with. Oh, you should sign up for X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. Where it's... Do you know that I've been doing this for almost 30 fucking years? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm Jane Doe from Ohio. That's, like, never seen a fucking, like, Alexa before. Let alone knows, like, what a fucking mark is. You know what I mean? Um, So, when you know your own worth and and you feel vulnerable enough and courageous enough to ask for help, and then it's met with a diminishment of that worth. And... (laughs) no don't you're you're not as stay in your lane stay in your lane you're not as good as you think you are and there's like there's a little thing over there that you can try out you know like there's that there's that little extracurricular activity that you can try out as opposed to absolutely like let me show you what I can and introduce you to like who I know. Um, and, and that to me, I think is like the, the thing that really kind of gets my goat where it's, um, just when people are full of shit, just people that are fucking full of shit, I would much rather have someone be like, I don't like you and I don't believe in you at all. You know, um, as opposed to just like lackadaisical, not help answer. Yeah. Where it's what? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I remember like I'm getting ready to like direct like my first like first narrative short. Um, That's dope. Yeah, no, it's totally dope. Um, and I say like first narrative short because like I directed something back in 2014 that's like has yet to be released. That was like part of like a what the fuck is it called? A film score. Um, but something that like I'm writing and I'm directing and I'm producing, right? Um, and I know that. I've got a really fucking incredible eye. Like, I know this. Just like you intuitively know that, like, I have to write. I have the story. I've got it. Um, And when your ambition is met with... um, When someone essentially tries to dim your light and dampen your fire, as opposed to, oh my God, that's so exciting. What can I do? You know what I mean? Um, 
And I feel like that happens more with women than it does with men. Yeah. And men to women. Like men to women, but also women to women. I think it's, I think it's easy to write. It's for some reason, society is, feels way more comfortable telling a woman. No, for some reason, I don't know why, who knows why. Um, but I think for the first, you don't have to hold this microphone. That is absurd, but it's so, it's so, it's so sweet for the first, what, since when I moved here when I was 16 to when I was 20, so 10 years, you know, I was in just, I just kind of wandered around was just like, and I just, but I just kept knocking on doors and it was interesting because when I was younger, I would describe it as annoying people. And I'm like, no, I just like knew what I wanted. Yes. And, but like I had to, I, because I was insecure about the fact that I knew what I wanted and people were telling me that it wasn't possible. I kind of like put that like, you know, thing on top of where I was like, I was annoying people like to make it like I'm self-aware that like it was annoying, but but it was like, it wasn't annoying. I was asking for what I wanted. Like what the fuck? Well, it's because ambition in women is seen as undesirable. Whereas in men, it's just like the most attractive thing in the world to, you know, the people doing the hiring, like women's ambition is a threat. I think that very much that bias still exists. I mean, it's the wonder woman thing, like big risk. Why? Like, fuck because that. she's a woman. Like it's like very gender based. It's like, yeah. So black and white as to be insane. Yeah. And you and I have had this conversation, you know, like in regards to, again, that you have to be, um, the weight of the responsibility is so much greater, like, as a woman as opposed to, like, a fucking man. But, like, even within that, that's something that, like, I would desire to get away from. And, again, it's... I'm taking a second to collect my thoughts. You know, where if you've been taught that you need to ask permission... Right. Just as a, like, I'm sorry. May I, may I just apologize for existing, apologize for being, apologize for taking up space, you know, asking, is it okay that I'm inhabiting the space that I am as opposed to this is actually the space that I've chosen. And, um, if you don't like it, you can fuck off. You know, the difference between a demand and a command, like versus uh, the difference between demanding versus commanding. Yes. I so hear you as someone who totally grew up in the good girl mode of behavior her whole life. I'm just curious. And this is like something I think about all the time. Now I'm, I like to think about, and I would love to know your opinion on how do you bridge one attitude towards the other? Like what are the systems what are like the ways you change the way you present yourself in the world and become a more commanding person? Like, I do think a lot of it is just saying out loud, this is what I want. I think that's a very empowering move, but I do think there is something to be bridged there. And I think about it all the time in my own life. Like, how do you become that person? Knowing your worth, like absolutely knowing your fucking worth. And for me, I'm going to go one past knowing your worth and saying accepting your worth. Because I think that I, as a young person, 
I, as a young person, like, I think I always knew my worth, but I was like, I didn't, I ignored that and I didn't accept it. And I, because I was like, I feel like I'm the only one that knows this. So maybe I'm wrong. So I didn't accept it. And I would, and my behavior, like, I was like, oh, it was just, I didn't accept it. I didn't accept my worth. I didn't accept the fact that like, I did understand what I was worth and I, and I, you know, I felt comfortable with that and with who I was um, until, I mean, now I feel like even a couple years ago, I don't know that I would have been able to say that. Um, I will say, no, you know what, you know what I know, I feel like I really stepped into it when I, I let go of the manager that I had been working with who just wasn't, was a lovely person, but just like wasn't answering my emails and wasn't being attentive and like wouldn't help me and like, I don't know if it's because he couldn't or because he didn't want, I don't know what it was. And I don't think he was a bad person. I just wasn't right. But I let it happen because I was like, I, oh, maybe this is just what it is. And I finally said, I wrote Little Darlings, which is what Sweet Vicious is. And I was like, this is fucking good. I'm not, I'm, I had written a pilot and gone into development with like different production companies. And it was an, it was kind of a nightmare situation. And, um, it went, you know, it never went anywhere. And I was like, I think I'm good at this, but maybe I'm not. And then I wrote this and I was like, I'm, this is fucking good. And I know what this is worth and I know what I am worth. And I'm going to find someone who is on board with that. And I did. And that manager helped me sell the project. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> literally, it's literally a smiling love fest right now. Um, and I'm not going to get weepy. Because um, <clears throat> I'm too tired. I think that it's. I think that it's so much about. Just yeah, like I think it's accepting. Accepting your worth, knowing your worth, and then accepting your worth, and those things don't have to be, you know, immediate succession. You can know. You can know your worth, and it can take you a couple years to accept it. And I think that that's okay because I think. You have to get to that place in your own time. Yeah, but with that too, here's here's the deal, right? It's um, you can't experience one without experiencing the other, right? Yeah, you can't experience um, being worthy without having the experience of feeling unworthy, and I feel that most of us have this inherent feeling of unworthiness um unworthiness of being you know and so it the life then becomes one of having to earn one's keep to prove that they are worthy of being here they are worthy of taking up the space they are worthy of you know and it's <clears throat> a never-ending vicious cycle of I really don't feel unworthy so I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to prove my worth because I really don't feel unworthy and I need to even do more to prove my worth. I think it dovetails into the even the conversation we had about exhaustion. I think that, you know, there's that. It's like exactly what you're saying. Like, that's exhausting. So let me ask you this. When and who was it 
that was able to look at you and see you and hold you in love? And when were you able to receive that? Because the the only experience that I've had with knowing my worth was getting to come face to face with the, the depths to which I felt so unworthy just for even being alive. I mean, for me, I feel like it was, it was more about myself than it, than someone and than anyone else. And it was me kind of just like listening to myself and feeling all of those things you said, but it was self-contained. It was with myself. that make sense yeah it feels like it has to start there because you have to be the engine of your own creation unless you're like extremely privileged and lucky and someone just plucks you out of nowhere to like do the very thing you've always wanted to do yeah but I think that's like a very rare situation like in my experience it's like once you yeah figure your own shit out only then can you motivate because I think a lot of this is just persuading people, like, I think in any career, it's just persuading people around you to believe in you as much as you believe in yourself. See, and that's, and, and that's what I'm saying in, in regards to, <clears throat> and this is just for me, you know, um, and it, it could be partially because, like, of my life experience, where if you're continually told oh no 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 smaller 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 nope 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 um know your place stay in your place um, this is how things work. This is how things go. And you can't trust your voice and you cannot trust yourself. Right? Um, <clears throat> and the internal fight against that being the, well, wait a second. Like for you, like I know this is fucking good. Like I know this is fucking good. Um, and you're saying that there was no other single person within you that was like, you know what? I like, yeah, this is fucking, there you go. You know? So it's like, none of it happens in a vacuum. There's always that one person that sees you, you know, um, in your inherent worthiness you know, that truly fucking sees you and holds you in love, you know, that reminds you of who you truly are, um, which then allows you to go forward. Like none of this ever happens in a vacuum. I feel, you know what I mean? Like, um, I was also, I, I'm very lucky to have a mother who 
even in my most kind of like I'm going to use the word toxic even though it's probably not the right word to use you know kind of times in my life when I was just I wasn't I wasn't I just wasn't doing good things for myself she let me she never made it made me feel like I was wrong she would bring she tried to find help for me and she tried to kind of guide me but she never would kind of put it on me and say like you like you are x y or z like you are feeling like how like let's talk about what you're feeling but she never it never put it on me as who I am singularly and I think that that is a big part of like who I am as a writer and and how I kind of move forward as a writer and look at people and look at characters and look at people and just in life um and that's a huge testament to her because I I can't say that for I'm sure a lot of people um but that's something that you know I she she helped me define my worth for sure like it was it was me that you know kind of accepted it and that and that moved forward but I do think that like I had a very strong mother who herself in her own right understands her worth and I got to see that and so not even her kind of like telling me what my worth is but seeing her and knowing that she knew her worth helped me move forward and kind of be and sometimes like it was a misguided, I, I did it in a misguided way. Like, I mean, I was a real fucking mouthy bitch in high school um, and, and had a problem with authority. And, like, it, there was a lot of, like, you know, kind of, like, the weird ways to get to, you know, knowing and feeling one's worth and, like, ways that I did it in a, in a kind of a more juvenile way. But I think I always saw in her someone that knew her worth. And that helped me kind of get to a place, you know, now in life where I feel like I'm, like I know and can accept it. And I think that a lot of that has to do with kind of her just guidance and presence in my life. And also because you trusted her. Yes. Implicitly. And that's like, and that's huge. And and that I think like is is also something that is so incredibly important where um, you're able to trust the person and, um, you know, there's that, like, intuitive bullshit, like, thermometer, you know, where it's, yeah, yeah, okay. My my mom had a mug that said, I don't take shit, I don't give shit, I'm not in the shit business. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Celeste? Oh, jeez. Honestly, anyone who ever told me I was funny, <laughs> I owe a lot to all those people along the way because I feel like that kept me going. I don't know. I always, I've always, like, I think I was really scared when I, like, realized I wanted to do comedy. Uh, I was scared to, like, you know, just, like, be a barista and, like, take improv classes. So I always, like, worked in these, like, institutions and always had like a very solid day job that was always a career and I think that's something my mom always taught me as a fallback plan which has Mm. really you know I think maybe was not an optimal path to becoming a comedian or like a comedy writer but served me for how I was raised ultimately because I've ended up a tv writer anyway um but I think You know, as someone who was like risk averse, doing comedy 
itself was a form of I think like the reason I've always been drawn to it is it's like a form of protest I think there was a type of like good girl comedy writer who's like a straight a student who their form of rebellion is like doing comedy and I think I very much put myself in that camp and so I you know had teachers along the way improv teachers or sketch teachers who would not just like give me praise but like give me helpful critical feedback to make me better at what I was doing I think that was huge for me I think my parents support and belief in me was very valuable my mom you know is a very practical woman and is always very worried and wants me to be okay so it was like less I think she's more worried about me making money sometimes than like about the work I'm creating Mm. when my dad and which is not to say she doesn't like it because she almost always does. Um, but my, I think my dad is like more of a quiet, staunch supporter. Like he, you know, he's not an emotionally forward man. And so the moments he's taken me aside to be like, I believe in you. I've always believed in you. You can do this have really carried me through some like times of intense self doubt. And then I think, you know, as I was trying to transition into not just working in production and being, a, you know, an actual TV writer, Um, I had a boyfriend who really believed in me and that relationship totally went to shit and blew up in flames. But one of the gifts he gave me was really believing me at a time when I really needed it and like trusting that I could write and could succeed. And so I do think like, you know, it starts with yourself, but then it, you know, stems to community and then you have to make the institutions work for you too. But yeah, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You need those people along the way cheering you along. Like, it's important to be a cheerleader. Um, my friend Zan, she has this tiny letter that's really fantastic, and she's a YA novelist, and her most recent one was about how she, or she wrote a Medium post about how she wrote her most recent novel in Gmail and emailing it to a friend who served this role as being her personal cheerleader, being like, what's happening next? I'm so excited about this. And I think you have to surround yourself with people like that who will cheer you, who will be your cheerleader as you go along. Cause yeah, you're going to fail. That's inevitable, but you need the people who are just like, what happens next? Like what, like, I'm so excited about this. You're funny. Like whatever it is, like if, if it's not your parents, like find a community. Like for me, the Upright Citizens Brigade was like how I, you know, found my voice in the first place. And like, that was an invaluable community that I felt like, Oh, if I can do it, like if I can make these people laugh, like I can make other people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> this makes me so happy. Like it 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 really does. It makes me um <clears throat> incredibly happy and incredibly incredibly grateful. You know, um there are not a lot of individuals like you two. There aren't. I can maybe like count on both hands. Like, and that's. You're going to accept the compliment? <laughs> yeah, receive no, it. But I'm going to receive it. I feel like I would normally be like, no. <laughs> but I will receive it and say thank you. Yeah. I'll also say thank you. No, like, fully receive it. Like, um, you know, and then, like, if it turns out that I'm wrong, I will come back on this podcast and say so. Well, um, to the fire. <laughs> um oh my god <laughs> what's going to happen <laughs> oh my god jen we have so much work to do no you know cuz it's 
again, like every single person that I've had on this, um, I like on this meaning this podcast, um, you know, I've, I've had on because I've, I found them interesting and thought that they were going to be willing to be honest and be vulnerable and have like an authentic conversation, you know, and more importantly, and like, I know that you know this, um, specifically like Celeste, I just met tonight. Um, you know, but Jen, I really don't like anybody. I don't, I don't like many people. I'm a fucking homebody. I don't go out. I don't interact because the relationships that I desire to build, um, take effort and they take time and they take a lot of fucking energy, you know? And And what I'm grateful for is that, you know, if your show, because it is your fucking show, Sweet Vicious, if the only reason, if one of the only reasons that it was in existence was to... give birth to a path that like you get to trudge. Um, with I'm like trying, I'm like really trying to find the fucking words. That, like, A, obviously, you know that it's just the beginning. And, like, what a fucking beginning, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that for all of the, you know, for all of the mess that I feel like was the end of the show, I, if someone came to me and was like, you can have the, the exact experience you had, or... You can take the show somewhere else, but they might change it and you could lose everything that was beautiful to you about it, but you would get it for five seasons. I would say, no, I want this. Like, I would not change any, anything about the experience uh, in, any, you know, in any way except maybe marketing the show um, would have been cool. But um, uh, I do... I feel that I'm so proud of the episodes that we all made together. And even when you said your show just now, and I don't say this, like this is not even a, like a political, like, Oh, I know what you're going to say. No, 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 no. I, it's interesting because I feel ownership over my creation. And I like to take ownership of it because I worked really fucking hard to, make all of the small, big, medium music fucking score set. De- like every, I, I want it to be a part of every decision. So I do feel like I feel, I do feel, you know, ownership in, in a very whole way over, over Sweet Vicious. And then I also think about 
every single person that worked on that show and how I feel like we made that together and how I, I do think that there, you were allowed to feel both. I think you can feel a hundred percent ownership over something. And I think you can also acknowledge and feel the community that was created. And that extends to the fans that extends to, you know, it's just like, there's so many people that, that make something what it is. So you can't like, I, I, have to acknowledge the other side of that well yeah for sure it's the absolute fucking duality and like this is the whole entire fucking point for fuck's sakes um i love your voice and i love your authenticity and obviously based on this fucking conversation um that's not something that i say lightly you know, and I'm so grateful um, that I get to have someone like you in my life. And then by extension, you know, I'm so grateful that you are the kind of being that's like, hey, I'm going to bring Celeste on. Cool? Like, yeah. Um Cause that's like, that's how communities grow and like, that's how relationships flourish. And like, more importantly than like, that's how more stories get told. You know, it's, um, when you get to walk through the door of opportunity, you get to hold it open for others and then others get to do the same, you know, um, Yeah, that's beautiful. I really like that. I really like that. When you have to walk the door, when you have to hold it open for others. No, I really like that. No, yeah. I can't take I, full. Cre- I can't take credit for that. Like I like I can't. That's like fucking fully Michelle Obama um, from like RN's <laughs> story checks out. from DMC <laughs> two thousand eight. Yeah, so she's um, amazing. But no, she is amazing. But like, it really is fucking true. It's like you hold the door open for others because it's like success isn't. Um, a fucking like solo venture it's not it can't be yeah i feel we all share a feeling of responsibility and i think that one of the things that's you know our obligation right now is to extend that to other people in the industry such as uh you know certain lovely privileged white men <laughs> to it, it you want everyone to feel that basically. I feel like that's like the next move is everyone feels that so that we are all helping each other. Yes, absolutely. And I would say not just certain like lovely privileged white men, but in addition, some certain lovely privileged white women. Absolutely. Everyone. Hold that door. Let everyone through. Yeah, just like fucking like Hordor. Yeah, Hodor. 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 Um, okay, on this note, um there's literally nowhere else we can go. There's there's nowhere else that we can fucking go. Um I um thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you. Um thank you so much. Oh my God, and uh, 
please just like fucking like come back again. Yeah. We'll yeah? come back to discuss all the fucking shitty things we did. And you can yell at us. No. <laughs> Dude, no. Like you this can... is an exercise I kind of want to see what that looks like. Okay. That's yeah. amazing. Where I would say like, oh my God, we can talk like about like what we've collaborated on and like how exciting and amazing that was. Well, I would love to work with you. We should find something together. <laughs> it's it's literally it's on tape. It's on tape, peeps. We should find something together. Okay, gotta go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Um. All right, you guys. But seriously, thank you. Um. Thank you both for being on, and thank everybody for listening. Um. And we will see you next week. I have no idea who the guest is going to be. Um. We'll have to. Wait and see. You'll have to wait and see. Fuck sakes. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye.